Hello, and welcome to The Double Double. My name is Kelly Hogan, and joining me, as always, from Brooklyn, David Dixon. David, what's going on? Kelly, Brooklyn is no longer famous for the bridge and great pizza. It is now the home. We're just going to get right into it. It's the home of Kevin Durant and Mr. Kyrie Irving. It was a great day for the borough. So KD, after about six months of speculation that he was heading to New York to play for the Knicks, opts to head to Brooklyn to play with Kyrie and his bestie, DeAndre Jordan. So Kevin Durant signs for four years, $164 million. Kyrie, four for $141 million. And DeAndre Jordan's going to get paid four years and $40 million to basically be Jared Allen's backup. David, obviously this coming season, Kevin Durant is going to be sidelined with an injury. But just what do you make of this new and revamped Nets team? I mean, it's, it's just incredible. Everyone has talked about this, but... I mean, I think we have to say it is that from where this Nets team was three years ago when Sean Marks took over, it's night and day. And he deserves all the credit in the world. He's turned over that roster multiple times to get to where they are now. And it's really interesting because they couldn't rebuild in the traditional sense that we think of, of being really bad and building through the draft. Their only real asset was their cap space. So their whole rebuilding strategy was using their cap space to take on bad contracts and take flyers on guys like a D'Angelo Russell, who they had to take on the Mozgov contract. People forget about that, but they were able to get D'Angelo Russell. And by taking on moves like that and Honestly, just getting really lucky and drafting really well and picking Karis LeVert and picking up Spencer Dinwiddie and Jared Allen, you know, it's just a testament to how the Nets were able to rebuild. And did I think that both Durant and Kyrie were going to go there? I mean, play the tapes, Kelly. I've been saying Durant realistically should be choosing Brooklyn over New York for a long time now, but... To see it actually unfold, it's just amazing in terms of just the rebuilding process that they've been through. I mean, you gave a lot of praise to Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson as well, the coach. This was as organic of a rebuild as you can have. This team was depleted of basically every last asset that they had in that Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce trade. And for five or six years, through thick and thin, they just stuck with the process and they built this young nucleus around Karis LeVert and Joe Harris and Spencer Dinwiddie and Jared Allen. And they just recently traded for Torian Prince. And now you have superstars across the league who view this, obviously, as an up-and-coming destination. One of the premier practice facilities in the entire league. Sean Marks, the guy has done a sensational job. Next year, I think Brooklyn is probably a four or five seed just because Kevin Durant's out. But he's going to return, and assuming he's healthy, this is a team that is going to probably have expectations of NBA Finals or bust. Oh, I mean, 100%. And I think it's a good point that you brought up about next year for Brooklyn. People are forgetting that Durant has a ruptured Achilles tendon, and you know he won't be playing next season. 
And so when you are thinking about Brooklyn, you're really all the hopes and dreams are not for this upcoming season, the 2019-2020 season. It's really 2020-2021 NBA season is when you're thinking these Nets can make a real run to potentially the finals. And I want to bring up a really interesting point that uh, maybe is not being discussed. But So Kevin Durant has had, for his Achilles injury, I'm almost pretty certain that he that the that his surgeon was Dr. Martin O'Malley, who was the Nets team doctor. So that might have been a big part of it as well. Just that connection in terms of his own uh, physical treatment and recovery. There were rumors that the Knicks that they were not willing to give him the four year max, that James Dolan was against paying a player of Kevin Durant's age coming off an Achilles injury. In my opinion, I think that's just his spin to put to the New York fans as to why they struck out and, and missed on this. I mean, this is this is the guy they put all the marbles in. The last time I remember they went all out for a guy like this was probably LeBron back in 2010. But the Knicks trade away Porzingis, do all of this stuff to finagle their cap space for this summer, only to strike out and have to sign five or six veterans that they don't really bring too much excitement, but just what do you, what are your thoughts on the Knicks swinging and missing really in trying to land uh, Kyrie and, and Kevin Durant? I mean, our most devoid, uh, devout listeners of the the Double Double Podcast will go back to episode one where it was at the trade deadline and we were recapping the Porzingis trade. Where you asked me what I thought of it, I said it will only be worth it if they sign Durant. They being the Knicks, obviously, they if the Knicks sign Durant and another marquee free agent. And so far, Kelly, according to my notes, the the closest thing we got to a marquee free agent is Julius Randle, who's a nice piece. You know, I like Randle. I think he'll be solid. He'll definitely help them in the short term in terms of just scoring and stuff, but. This is not how people thought it would go. And it's really interesting because the Knicks decided this year to do the traditional rebuild, just be really, really bad and tank for Zion and the lottery odds. And maybe what we're seeing is maybe that's not the best strategy. And maybe you should be trying to remain as competitive as you can be. The Nets, even though they had a poor roster, were trying to build a culture and a of professionals and they tried to be as good as they could be and the Knicks seemingly tried to be as bad as they could be and I don't know maybe that's a strategy that, that that's just less appealing to free agents as when you go into a situation it's probably a lot better to go to go into a situation where the team is already pretty good and and the whole irony of Julius Randle is he would have been a great fit next to Christoph Porzingis. 100%. A bulldozer next to a guy who can stretch the floor and shoot and protect the rim. I think they would have complemented each other really well. So if the Knicks would have just stayed pat with Kristaps and then pursued Julius Randle, that would have been a sensational front court. And then all of a sudden you have R.J. Barrett and hopefully Kevin Knox can turn things around. But that, that would be a nice little young nucleus to build around. I think from the Knicks' perspective, when you're constructing a team, you, there, there are two avenues you can go down, right? You can go down the path where the players have a choice, and that's free agency. And the Knicks have, for the past, it seems like 15, 20 years, 
have tried to rely upon the fact that they play in Madison Square Garden, that they have a storied history, not of late, but a storied history, and that will induce players to want to come play in Madison Square Garden. That's not the case. They're going to have to go back to the no-choice method and basically get guys through the draft and through trade because guys are not going to go out of their way to go play for the Knicks as evident by this. If I were a Knicks fan, I would feel... I would be crestfallen right now because not only did we not get Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, but they're going to play in our backyard and for our little brother. And, you know, maybe that little brother turns into the big brother and that would frighten me a little bit. But there was also another side to this trade in a sense, because technically Kevin Durant came as part of a sign in trade. And so as part of that sign in trade, the Nets, sent D'Angelo Russell along with Shabazz Napier and Trevion Graham. They were sent to Minnesota, D'Lo to the Warriors, and a first-round pick came back to Brooklyn along with Kevin Durant. What do you make of the D'Angelo Russell fit in Golden State? I really like it, to be honest. Uh, I really like D'Lo. I thought he really improved a lot last year. I know that's, you know, thanks, Captain Obvious, but... It's true, and with Clay being out for probably the majority of the season, everyone say, oh, he'll be back in, in March or middle of March. Well, I hate to break it to all you people, but that's basically the whole season. So adding D'Lo, who is a 20-point-per-game scorer with Brooklyn in a much more open offense, playing with better teammates in Steph and Draymond, and you know, as much as we love Kenny Atkinson and we're praising him a lot, Steve Kerr's a better coach hands down no real debate about it and so and we saw the way Steve Kerr was able to unleash Steph Curry I think maybe we could see that type of effect on D'Angelo Russell in the Golden State system so I'm really excited to see it and hey if it doesn't work out he's a big asset for that team a lot of teams around the league would love to get their hands on D'Angelo Russell I'm looking at you Minnesota Phoenix uh Indiana maybe and there's just a lot of teams where let's say it goes as poorly as it as it could possibly go they could trade him and get a good haul back and if it goes as well as we think they'll be in the Western Conference Finals I think that's an excellent point because losing Kevin Durant and getting nothing in return would have been devastating even for Golden State my concern is he and Steph, neither one can guard. And that would that would certainly be a worry of mine. This coming season, I'm interested to see if D'Angelo is still there when Clay returns. Because like you said, it's a very real possibility that Bob Myers looks around and tries to deal him to one of these teams. And D'Angelo Russell will have a market, like you said. But I just I, I find it hard to imagine a fit where D'Angelo, Clay, and Steph are kind of simultaneously on the floor sharing ball handling and playmaking responsibilities. What, what I also didn't really like about this deal was that they had to get rid of Andre Iguodala in the process. So here's a guy who his, he's not doesn't score the ball crazy, but he is a core ingredient to the Warriors' defensive identity. Yep. And I think his loss is going to be something that really, really affects them this season and then and then moving forward. Yeah, Kelly. I mean, you hit it right on 
right on the nose right there. I mean, not only is Iggy a key part of their defensive identity, he's a key part of just the team identity. And once they got Iggy from Denver, that was really kind of the start of this Warriors dynasty that we are a part of right now. He is a foundational piece of the Warriors. He was a member of the Hamptons Five. He was a part of that group who went out to try and get Durant. And he is just really important to the team. And by all accounts there, the Warriors felt like they had to do this financially. And it was if they could have chosen anyone else, they would have done it. But he was the only one whose contract was a really hard decision for them to make. And I think what you're... What you've also said too, and I totally agree with, which is that the defensive concerns about Curry and Russell are also exemplified and by the fact that and and pumped up by the fact that you're not gonna have Iggy on the wing too. So there's no place to hide for these guys. You're not gonna have Iggy being able to come in and bail you guys out with great defense. No, I I totally, totally agree with that. And then Bringing back Kayvon Looney, he got three years, $15 million. He's not going to light the world on fire. Right, but it was a bargain, and he's going to be a key piece for them. And he, They really don't have many guys who they're going to be able to sign just because they're financially limited in terms of flexibility, which is part of the reason why getting D'Angelo back was so great because if Kevin Durant were to leave and they weren't going to be able to land D'Angelo, there was really nothing nothing else they could really do anyway. So this this deal was almost something that they – had to do whether they really were in love with the Angelo Russell the player or not. And also just Looney is a great move. That is a great move. He was he's been awesome for them his whole time. He's gotten better and better and better. And you saw when when he was hurt in the finals, he was a a true warrior, no no pun intended, and battled through basically what's something that, that went from a broken collarbone to broken ribs, to broken and fractured cartilage between his ribs. Basically, he was playing through some major chest-related injury. And you saw he just kept taking hit after hit after hit. His whole role is to set screens. And with a broken chest, everyone's running into your chest, which is broken. That has to be extremely painful. And for him to come back, he, he's the ultimate team guy. He's been awesome for them. He's just getting better and better. And you saw when he wasn't in the game, it really hurt them defensively and offensively. No doubt, no doubt. And another team we got to get to, the Philadelphia 76ers. The 76ers re-signed Tobias Harris for five years, $180 million. They pry Al Horford away from the Celtics, give him four years and up to $109 million. And then they had a sign-and-trade. It was a four-team deal. Jimmy Butler goes to Miami. Joss Richardson heads to the 76ers. Mo Harkless and a first-round pick go to the Clippers. Hassan Whiteside to the Blazers. And Myers Leonard to Miami. So there's a lot of moving pieces there. But the main takeaway for me is that the 76ers essentially chose Al Horford and Josh Richardson over J.J. Redick and Jimmy Butler, and they obviously brought back Tobias Harris as well. But overall, I think that's a really solid move for the 76ers, and when you look at that team, defensively, that could be one of the best units that we have ever seen. 
I, I'm going to have to slow your roll there on saying it's one of the best units we have ever seen because I have a couple key questions for you, which is I understand that individually a lot of these guys are great defenders, but basketball is a team game. And if Horford and Embiid are going to play together a lot, which would seemingly be their best lineup because you're not paying $109 million to Al Horford to come off the bench, can Al Horford, at his advanced age and as he gets older, consistently be able to guard the four and the wing on the outside? That's one of my main concerns. David, I'll make you a bet right now that Philadelphia finishes as the best defense in the entire league this year. Al Horford's natural position is power forward. Ben Simmons can't shoot, but he's a lockdown defender. Josh Richardson, you could make the argument he and Marcus Smart are probably two of the best guard defenders in the entire league. Tobias Harris, I mean, he's he's not, I don't want to say he's a liability. He's not the greatest defender. Joel Embiid was arguably defensive player of the year this year behind Rudy Gobert. And your point that basketball is a team sport, that's valid. But on an individual talent basis, there is not a more talented defensive team in the entire league. That That is probably true. But as, as we know, as when the games matter most in the playoffs, a lot of it is one-on-one matchups and pick-and-roll s- switches. And I just really wonder how the lineup together of Embiid and, and Horford will fare against a Boston team that I think will be better a Milwaukee team that should be better and who knows with Toronto if Leonard is back now on the flip side I am right there with you this team is so big I think you're focusing a little too much on the defense I think they'll be great on offense like who's going to guard them no one can match up with their size the only thing that I'd be concerned with is I'm not sure they can operate a pick and roll Ben Simmons can't shoot they're just going to go under screens and I don't think Tobias Harris is dynamic enough a ball handler to really operate as the the pick and roll threat. That would be the thing I'm concerned about. And then also JJ Redick going to New Orleans, I could make the argument that he was their most important offensive player just for the space he provided, the movement. I think the JJ Redick loss is is key and it's gonna, you know, hurt. But Josh Richardson is no slouch and getting paid about ten or eleven million dollars a year. I think he's on one of the better contracts in the entire league. And when you factor in contract, I can pay Josh Richardson an average of $10 million a year, or I can pay Jimmy Butler an average of $35 million a year. I would much rather have Josh Richardson at $10 million a year and have the financial flexibility that comes with that additional money that I'm not paying Jimmy. That's for sure. The, the Jimmy Butler thing is, is what we'll get into next. I, I'm mainly concerned about, even though they, they lose Redick, it's just the, the thing with Philly is do they have enough shooting? That's that's always going to be the thing. And, and I disagree about your point about the pick and roll because the Warriors prove that you don't have to run a lot of pick and roll. The, the Warriors ran some of the least amount of pick and roll in the NBA, albeit it's a lot easier to do that when you have Steph, Clay, and KD. The Sixers don't have Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant. They have guys who can't shoot. So in terms of creating spacing, I think it's going to be a really big issue. And it helps Horford could probably play outside more and have him beat inside where he's a dominant force. But I, I want to see who Philly signs the, the rest of free agency to see if they can add some, some distance three-point shooters to really stretch out the court. 
they need some shooters. They traded one away when they got Tobias and Landry Shamit. Looking back, they probably wish they didn't do that. Ben Simmons, where do you stand on him? Do you think the Sixers continue to build around him and with him as part of the young nucleus? Here's my concern. Ben Simmons is up for an extension. He's a clutch sports client. Rich Paul is his agent. And they will get him the max. They will settle for no less than the max, right? Because he's an all-star. And no matter what you think about him as a shooter, Simmons is a very, very good NBA player. And the, the question really is, is he great? Is he elite? Because he's really good. And if I'm the Sixers, my one hesitation towards keeping him versus trying to explore a way to, to trade him is you have $180 million tied up in, to, in Tobias Harris. You have $109 million tied up in, in Al Horford. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's somewhere around 130 to 150 tied up in Embiid. That is a lot of money. And if you add in Simmons's max, which will be over $100 million, that's not a lot of cap flexibility for the rest of the guys to fill out your roster, and you'll be over the luxury tax most likely. So I think it's all about what ownership wants to do. I would keep them, but it's also not my money. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So let's get to the other end of this. Jimmy Butler to Miami, four years, $142 million. The 76ers reportedly offered him five for 190, and he turned that down. So he obviously wanted to be in Miami. What do you make of Jimmy's fit there, and how serious should we take Miami as a contender in the, the East? I mean, I don't get it, Kelly. I mean, I don't get it at all. There are very few things I don't get, and this is one of them, about all the free agency moves of the things I don't get. There's plenty of things I don't understand. But this is, of the, all the moves, this is one I don't understand because he, he, he must really think that he's the difference, that, that, that he's somehow going to take Miami to this Eastern Conference favorite. And it's, I get it. You want to live in Miami. You're 26, 27, 28. Some, you're like 27 years old. Living in Miami as a hundred millionaire is awesome. That's like the dream. But but my question for you is because because I don't understand why he's doing it. But from the from the viewpoint of the Sixers, here's my question for you. In your opinion, do you, this is a, a two prong question. Do you think Jimmy Butler is better than Tobias Harris? And my second question is. Do you think that because the Sixers gave up more for Harris in the trade to get him than they did for Butler, you know, Shamit and the the picks and all that, that they felt more compelled that because they gave up so much for Harris that they had to keep him? So to answer your first question, I think Jimmy Butler is a better player right now, but I think Tobias Harris will age better, and thus I would have been more inclined to give Tobias Harris more money and more years, even though at the moment, I think Jimmy Butler's a better player. So that's the first part of your question. The second part, yes, I think they felt more inclined to keep Tobias Harris because of what they gave up in order to get him. Miami notoriously has a really great training staff. Guys are always in peak conditioning down there. So It's possible Jimmy Butler can play well into his 30s and be successful, but I find this very interesting for a guy that was so close to knocking off the Raptors 
the team that went on to win the championship that he then chooses to go to Miami where I, I can't see a scenario where they finish better than the fifth or sixth seed in the East. So, you know, this is definitely a head scratcher, but Jimmy Butler's an interesting dude. So I, I wouldn't rule anything or I wouldn't put anything past him. It's just so weird, man. I mean, he just thinks that he's so much better than he actually is. And I admire that, you know, to be honest, you you love the guys who have this irrational confidence in themselves, but at a certain point, it would be like if J.R. Smith went out and said, I'm an all-star. It's, J.R., you're you're a good NBA player, but you're just not an all-star. And Jimmy, you're an all-star, you're a great piece on a contending team, but you're not winning a championship as the best player. And maybe something was going on in Philly behind the scenes that he felt disrespected. He didn't get along with the guys. But this is now, what, his fourth team in three seasons? That's a tough look for any player's resume. Oh, for sure. For sure. So let's let's pivot here. I have a problem with kind of the, the machinations behind the Terry Rozier, Kemba Walker swap if you will so so i think kemba walker i think that's a great pickup for the celtics four years 141 million so my my problem here is the hornets declined to give kemba the max which is understandable but then they're gonna pivot and give terry rogier an unproven erratic guard three years 58 million and I'm just not sure why would you not pay for the elite commodity if you're going to pay for this mediocrity. Michael Jordan is basically, he won't give you 100000 for that Porsche, but he'll give you sixty k for that Honda Accord. And I just, I, I don't get it. That's a great analogy. I mean, that's an awesome analogy because it's so true. And we talked about this in our free agency preview, which is with the way that the lottery is set up now, you basically just have to be in it to win it. So even though... Yes, Kemba, is he really worth $221 million? Probably not, because that type of supermax is really for the best 8 to 11 players in the league, and he's just not there. He's in the top 25, but he's just not in that upper echelon. And But you're definitely in the lottery with Terry Rogier. but the issue is for the next superstar who is unhappy— Hey, it might be Jimmy Butler again, but for the next guy who's unhappy, you no longer have, hey, come play with Kemba and we'll try and figure it out. Or a chance, you'll definitely be in the lottery, but now you're pairing that lottery pick, which with the way the lottery odds go, could be the number one pick for some prospect we don't know the name of now, but is the next Zion. And you instead of pairing him with Kemba, who's an all-NBA player, you're pairing him with Terry Rozier. And... Because you could always trade Kemba. The Raptors found a way to sign DeRozan to that major $200-plus extension, and they still found a way to trade him. Every contract is tradable. And I don't understand the move at all. I do not understand it at all from Charlotte's perspective. From Boston's perspective, I really like the addition of Kemba Walker. It offsets the loss of Kyrie Irving and probably makes matters much better from a chemistry perspective in that locker room. The loss of Al Horford still is going to hurt. I know they signed Ennis Cantor today, but the loss of Al Horford, that will hurt. Just Al Horford does so many things that just do not get appreciated or quantified in the box score. 
for Boston this year and for the years to come, it's going to come down to how Jason Tatum develops. Is he that guy who we thought he was his rookie season against Cleveland when they went to seven games in the Eastern Conference Finals and he's banging on LeBron in the fourth quarter and it looks like he's going to put the city of Boston on his back and take him to the finals as a rookie? Is he that guy? Or is he the guy who's timid launching up 20-footers bickering with with Kyrie and Jalen Brown? So I think Jason Tatum's evolution in the way he progresses over this season and kind of the next couple seasons will set the trajectory for Boston and you know are they a title contender or are they just one of these cute teams in the Eastern Conference that's going to make the second round of the playoffs every year and get bounced and I think that the biggest as you said not just with Tatum's growth but I think there's two other factors that that you didn't mention one is Hayward's continued recovery from that uh freak foot and ankle injury because if he is back to that all-star level next year that's basically like another all-star signing because it was an all-star they didn't have last year who they now have this year. And that will be, you know, you, you hope he is, but hey, that was such a freak injury. He's still working back. And I think that the one thing you haven't mentioned about this Celtics team is as much as I believe Kemba will be a huge addition by subtraction in terms of team chemistry and how they all play and get along, adding Kemba and Ennis Cantor is going to really hurt their defense. And Boston is a what has been a very good defensive team the last few years, but Kemba and, and Ennis Cantor are just not known for their defense. The market's kind of drying up. Their options are becoming more limited, but I totally agree with you on that. Their defense is going to suffer. Ennis Cantor has been a liability since the second he set foot in the NBA. So I think that's a great point. And then Gordon Hayward, yeah. I mean, if he's able to play and be, be the player, even close to the player that they thought they were getting when they signed him from Utah, I think that would be a plus and certainly improve their chances. But Look, let me just say, too, we, we mentioned that, that he's off the board, but Kevon Looney would have been a perfect addition for Boston, especially at that three years, $15 million deal. That would have been perfect for them. For sure. For sure. So let's just go through quickly and just – we can go back and forth or one at a time or we can discuss each one, but let's let's hit on some, some role players that signed that might have flew under the radar a little bit. Yeah, so the first guy I, I want to mention is, is someone who, who you touched upon earlier was, was J.J. Redick to New Orleans. Two years, $26.5 This dude, I know he went to Duke, but he just keeps proving how smart he is. He's made so much money the last four to five years. I think I heard Bill Simmons say this with, with a— it was either House or Russillo, but he's made so much money because he knows exactly who he is, and he recognizes how the NBA values him, and he's just going to keep getting his money, and I love that fit in New Orleans with Holiday and Lonzo and Ingram and Zion, the man. He'll, his, his shooting will open up the court for Zion in, in hopefully ways that we could have never imagined and just let Zion be Zion. I think it, from a basketball perspective, it's a great fit. But then also from just a mentorship perspective, a lot of these guys are going to be able to see how J.J. Redick handles himself. And he's he's a pro's pro when it comes to taking care of your body, doing the right things to prepare for each and every game. He's got a sterling reputation throughout the league. So just being around him, that's going to rub off on some of those young guys. One of the moves that I really, really like is Derrick Rose going to the Pistons two years, $15 million. Great move. This contract to me has so much upside because to me, Derrick Rose, I think he still has a lot left in the tank. Obviously, he's never going to get back to what he was pre-knee injuries, 
but he was very, very good for the Timberwolves this past season and probably in the discussion for sixth man of the year. Six or seven years ago, if you would have said Derrick Rose and Blake Griffin are on the same team, you know, they were probably the two most explosive athletes in the entire NBA. Rose is all upgraded, and, and you have to wonder, because he signed really early, if the Lakers weren't so steadfast on trying to sign Kawhi, if they would have had any interest in him. Because he's a he's a, he's a a type of point guard LeBron likes to play with. Ball dominant, can take up some of the scoring load. He could lead the second unit at times. He's a good pick-and-roll player for, for Davis. I I, I love the move. I was surprised that he signed so quickly because because you would have to think that he would have had more options and, and, and a lot of interest around the league. And one guy who definitely had a lot of interest around the league, Brooke Lopez, Kelly, last year playing on maybe the best contract in the NBA for his value of one year, $3 million, cashed in four years, $52 million to come back to Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's a it's a great move. Brooke Lopez is exemplifies what the modern NBA big guy is. Shoots a lot of threes, protects the rim with block shots, and just talk about a guy who has completely transformed his game and fits really well next to Giannis going forward. I really like the move. I'm a, I'm a fan of it as well. I'm not so much a fan of giving Chris Middleton five years, 178 million dollars. If I'm the Bucks, yeah, I know they kind of had to. Given Giannis's situation, and they have to put the best team around him so they can be competitive, so they can lock up Giannis long term. Because this coming season for Giannis is basically what last season was for Anthony Davis in terms of where they stand in their contract. So Giannis wouldn't, I don't think, but could theoretically pull an Anthony Davis and and want out if things didn't go according to plan. So so the Bucks definitely felt a little bit of heat to to put a competitive team around him. I just don't like my chances if Chris Middleton is my second best player to win a title and I think basically by paying him this much when Giannis is already gonna be paid what he's scheduled to be paid ties you into a situation where I just would be a little queasy if I was Milwaukee I mean we we are just we did just watch an NBA finals where uh Toronto one with you could argue Kyle Lowry was their second best player. And so I don't know where you think Middleton stacks it with Lowry, but I think that they're pretty close. They're both all stars. Yeah, that that's that's a fair point. I just think that's kind of the outlier. Like I, I wouldn't expect fair, fair. If we're looking at over recent history, I think if you look at the teams that have won titles, say over the past I mean, you could even go back further, but 15 or 20 years, and you look at the second best player on those teams, I think just in about every single circumstance, that player is better than Chris Middleton. What do you make of Brogdon and the Bucks deciding not to match his offer sheet? I thought that was a really smart decision because you could have seen Milwaukee easily, easily have gotten pressured into bringing him back. And what they did instead is said, hey, sign and trade, baby. Give us a first and a second round pick, and you can have Brogdon for as much money as, as you want. This is a move out of Indiana's desperation for a point guard. Ricky Rubio chose to go to Phoenix. Uh, Indiana needed needs a point guard bad, and they overpaid for Brogdon severely and gave up a first and second round pick. The Bucks are one of the best-run teams in the NBA. 
it's almost like a guarantee. You have to think that they'll use that that those assets to get a key contributor, if not in the next couple of weeks of the offseason, but throughout the season as well. For sure. And I mean, just just on that the Brogdon point, like I, I think Brogdon and Oladipo, when he comes back healthy, that's I really like that backcourt. I just don't like the fact that Indiana is going to not only have to pay Malcolm Brogdon upwards of $21 million per year, but they also had to sacrifice a first-round pick in the process. So it's, it's almost a – to me, it's a double-edged sword because as good of Malcolm Brogdon is as a player, he's not worth $21 million a year, and he's certainly not worth giving up a first-round pick for on top of it. So that's that's a tough pill to swallow if I'm Indiana – I think Malcolm Brogdon is a good player, but under these circumstances, I would not have wanted to, to go uh, go after him. No, and and then you look at what Milwaukee did next. So they let Brogdon go, and then they signed Wes Matthews on the minimum, which I think is a really smart move. He'll provide a lot of shooting for them, and he'll he'll definitely help them space keep keep this keep, you know keep the floor spaced for Giannis. And even though they lose Brogdon, I think that that is a move and a loss they can live with as they bring back George Hill as well. I believe it's three years, about thirty million. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, that's a move that they can live with just because of the asking price was was so great. And I don't blame Brogdon at all because who knows what he was asking for. But if Indiana presents you with eighty five million dollars, you say yes immediately (laughs) and especially when you have the foot history that he does you know his who knows how his body can hold up so that's another part of the reason i don't love it for indiana is because this is a guy who's proven that he might not be able to stay healthy so that's something else to be concerned about the other signing i loved and this was a guy who was a hot commodity patrick beverly i thought he could have fetched some serious money maybe from a chicago a Dallas, even the Lakers, if they were to strike out. The Clippers are just making, again, smart moves. They're they're building a culture around that organization of toughness and smart players and guys who, no matter what, in the slog that is and the grind and the marathon that is the NBA season, guys who bring it every single night. And Pat Beverly is that type of guy. And... You would have loved to see him playing potentially with the Lakers or maybe even with this Brooklyn team or going back to Houston. And there's a lot of t- teams in the league who could have, who would love to have Pat Beverly on their roster. But the Clippers were smart and locked him up with the three years, $40 million, giving the guy the money he deserves while also retaining enough cap space to keep Kawhi, potentially. So long as Kawhi does not go to the Lakers, I feel confident in making this statement. I think the Jazz are the winners of the offseason. So here's a team that is now positioned around Rudy Gobert, Mike Conley, Bojan Bogdanovich, Joe Ingles, Donovan Mitchell. I think this is a core nucleus that, as things stand at the moment, could make a serious run at the NBA Finals. I love what Utah has done. I think they've built a a really good team and have really built around their guys really well, but I think it's really hard to say that the that the Lakers so far aren't the winners of the offseason because they added Anthony Davis and Anthony Davis as was by far the best player available and 
they've added him because, yes, you'll say, oh, Durant's better than Davis. Well, Durant's hurt. So in terms of immediate impact for the next season, and we don't know where Kawhi is yet. So as of now, before we know where Kawhi's standing, landing for this upcoming season, they got the best player in Davis. That That's a fair point. I just think what they had to sacrifice to get him, it was a king's ransom. Yeah. And Bojan Bogdanovic is probably one of the most underrated players in the NBA. I just really, really, really like what Utah has done. Granted, they lost Derek Favors, but in a Western Conference that is now wide open with Kevin Durant gone and Golden State kind of recovering and Houston in shambles, I think it's wide open and it's for the taking. And I think the Jazz have just as good of a chance as anyone to really contend for, I mean, not only a chance to win the West, but, but possibly the whole thing. Yeah, the the favors loss is is a big loss on paper, but when you would watch them play, when you would you, and when you would read about them, they never really knew what to do with favors and how to play them with Gobert. So, I think finally moving on, it it ends that experiment of the it was over their heads the whole time of well, what are we doing with favors and is this working and can they really stay together? They they kind of just decided, look, it wasn't working, and favors lands in New Orleans, which I think is a a good landing spot for him. But I have a question. For you, do, do you think the Jazz are now the early favorites in the West? All right, so right now, I will say they are neck and neck in my eyes with Houston. As it stands right now, I think the Jazz are neck and neck with the Houston Rockets as the favorites in the Western Conference. But a lot of that can change depending upon where Kawhi goes. And as the last major domino, what are you thinking in terms of Kawhi? I really want him to stay in Toronto. I just, as much as the... The rumor mill is having won't go to the Lakers. I, I just have a hard time believing that he'll leave a place where he just won a championship as the guy, the unquestioned guy, and he'll go be the second or third fiddle on the Lakers team. That just that just doesn't seem right to me because at least when Durant went to the Warriors and did it, he had never won before. But Kawhi has won too, and he's proven that he can win on his own. And I don't know what he would need to prove by going to play with the Lakers unless he truly just wants to live in Los Angeles. The Lakers better hope they get him because they've stood pat and watched all these guys fly off the board. And now all of a sudden, if Kawhi doesn't choose them, they're in a tough spot because now they have $32 million in cap space. Yeah, there are still guys out there like Danny Green and DeMarcus Cousins, but I wouldn't be crazy in love with them if I'm the Lakers. I think... For Kawhi, I'm trying to get as much money as I can right now. I, I know, you know, these guys for the longest time have been all about flexibility. And you've seen LeBron and KD sign these one and ones With what happened with Kevin Durant this past season, it's really opened a lot of guys' eyes to just trying to get not necessarily as much money as they can, but a good chunk of it. So not going the one and one route, but more so going the four or five-year contracts. With Kawhi Leonard, if he were to stay in Toronto past next season, I don't really know what that roster looks like because Serge Ibaka, Marcus Gasol, Kyle Lowry, a lot of these guys are only on contracts that last through next season. And then after that, who knows what Toronto looks like? So I think that's kind of the danger of him doing that. And in signing a one and one, here's a guy with an injury history that would be leaving a lot of money on the table. And I'm just not sure that's a prudent prudent strategy part of me as a lebron guy wants him to, to go to the lakers 
But then again, if he stays in Toronto, there's probably 10 or 12 teams that go into next season thinking they have a legitimate chance to win an NBA championship. That's definitely for sure. And the, the one thing about Kawhi, too, you're, you're saying try to secure as much money as possible. One of the things, too, is if you go back to Toronto, you mentioned obviously they have a lot of expiring contracts. Let's say he signs a five-year max, and they have expiring contracts before that. Well, when you sign with Toronto, you're signing with Masai Ujiri, who's one of the best executives in the whole league. And when you sign with the Lakers, you're signing with Rob Palenka. And that's just a huge difference that can't be quantified and is not getting talked about enough. And I just, I mean, if he goes back to Toronto, I think they're the the favorites in the NBA because they're basically just running it back. And I don't know. It's just a weird situation because he is so unlike Durant. And Kyrie, and because they're so outspoken about how sensitive they are, you could kind of feel it out and, and sense that not only where they were le- where they were leaning on leaving or not, which they obviously were, but where they were leaning on going as well. With Kawhi, it's almost like you can't read him at all, and you just wonder is if he's even. I mean, obviously he knows for she's going on, but it doesn't feel like. Because you haven't heard any rumblings from it. His his circle must be so small and leak-proof because you because you hear nothing. Yeah, you hear absolutely nothing. I thought maybe the news would break when we were taping, but unfortunately it didn't. Well, Woj did drop a a mini Woj bomb. Isaiah Thomas is signing with uh with Washington. Oh, good for him. On a on a one year deal. And without Wall and Sadoransky, he's got a chance to play a lot and and you got to refer Isaiah. Heart over height, baby. Always rooting for Isaiah. And I think that the, that the one thing we didn't mention, maybe because it was the least surprising thing ever, but, but it is official. Clay Thompson did sign that, that five-year max for 190, 190 million with the Golden State Warriors. They did not give him a no-trade clause, but they did give him a 15% trade kicker. So if he were to be traded... He'd get a nice little raise. Steph doesn't have a no trade clause either, so it's not a, a a disrespectful move. It's just hey, Bob Meyer saying hey, anything can happen. Thank you to the NBA for starting free agency at uh, 6 p.m. It was definitely more interesting, and we were not burning the midnight oil trying to keep track of everything. Oh, I mean, it was absolutely awesome. Starting at six o'clock, it it really started earlier than that. Let's be honest, because they're. There's a thing called tampering in the NBA that they're never going to be able to stop. And somehow Woj tweeted about all these players signing, and Shams tweeted the same thing about all these players signing. Somehow at 6 o'clock in 10 seconds, nine players had already signed. That's like the fastest negotiation ever. I, I, I'm not sure how, how that happened. But, uh, yeah, just, just, just having it be at 6 o'clock in, instead of midnight is just so much better for everyone involved from the – from the fans and the executives who actually who actually have to you know have these meetings in the middle of the night like they're getting ready to rob a bank, and for the poor p- reporters like Woj who get to sleep this year for the, for the first time, it's it's just it was a great decision all the way around, and and I hope next year what they should do is just make it start at noon or nine or ten a.m. and just have it be all day. Make like why not? Why not just make free agency be two days? 
or one day where everything has to happen in, in one day. Obviously, that could never happen because these are players and they're not just players, but they're people and they're making like decisions. But from a fan perspective, I think that'd be awesome. If you knew in one day where everyone was going to go, that'd be pretty cool. Football, to some extent, free agency is so convoluted because of the franchise tag and there's never really true free agency. But in baseball, like Bryce Harper signing in like March and free agency drags on five, six months. And in ba- basketball, in five or six hours, half the league has changed teams. So I think that's kind of tough to keep track of, but uh, exciting nonetheless. I do think it's a slight issue, though. Maybe this is a whole separate podcast, but I think it's a slight issue, though, that somehow everyone's favorite part of the NBA season is free agency, where players are changing teams. It has nothing to do with, like, it's not any games or... It seems like free agency has trump the finals in terms of fan excitement because all year from from now on from august until next june 30th we're going to be talking about that free agent class and who who's going to be free agent where are they going to go and blah 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 and not really about the games look no further than this nba finals anthony davis gets traded during the nba finals and that's what everyone's talking about. And it's like, guys, the whole reason we make these trades and we scout these players and we do the draft and we do free agency and do this trade deadline stuff is to win a championship. And we're talking about a trade during the championship. And I, I think you're totally right. And the last thing we, we, we both want to say is uh, we want to give our condolences to to Tyler Skaggs and, and his whole family, his wife, and just a really tra- tragic situation, you know, died, passed away this morning, and we just want to offer our condolences to everyone in the Angels organization and, and his family. That'll do it for this episode of the Double Double. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you wouldn't mind, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Five stars would be much appreciated. If you have any feedback for the show, good, bad, or indifferent, you can reach us on Twitter Our Twitter account is dbl underscore dbl podcast, or you can shoot us an email. Our email address is double double 402 at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening. Take care and make it a great day.